From Washington, this is Political Theater, Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. Voters went to the polls in four states on Tuesday, Indiana, North Carolina, Ohio, and West Virginia, to choose their candidates for the November midterm elections. The most interesting race was probably in West Virginia's Republican Senate primary. West Virginia Attorney General Patrick Morrissey defeated two other candidates, Republican Congressman Evan Jenkins and Don Blankenship, a former energy executive in the state. This despite a late surge by Don Blankenship. Simone Pathé, our senior politics reporter at Roll Call, was in West Virginia recently, and she's filed about 400 stories in the last three or four days <laughs> about that race and also about Indiana and North Carolina uh, and Ohio. But West Virginia just seems to keep coming up again. Simone, let's talk a little bit about that and uh, and what you learned there. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So you went and you were in the middle of what all the candidates, the three candidates, Evan Jenkins, who's a congressman from the third district there, which is Southern West Virginia, and Patrick Morrissey, who's the uh, attorney general and a Republican, and Don Blankenship, who's a former coal executive. All three candidates acknowledged that there, or, or were trumpeting, that there was a Blankenship uh, surge for the Republican nomination for those vying to take on Manchin, who's regarded as possibly vulnerable. Um, you kind of landed right in the middle of this uh, little boomlet last week. Uh, talk about like some of your experiences because you went all over the state. Yeah. So for most of this race, for in fact a year, it was Morrissey and Jenkins just hitting each other. And Blankenship was kind of this this non-factor. Uh, people kind of laughed at him the way people laughed at Trump when he first announced his candidacy. And a lot of people thought that he was doing this just sort of as a personal experiment, some sort of vendetta against Manchin, perhaps. You know, he's got his own money, so he could air his own ads for as long as he wanted to. And just kind of see what happened. But eventually he gained more traction that really came to a point last week after the Fox News debate. For most of the debate, again, it was Jenkins and Morrissey hammering each other. You know, Patrick Morrissey grew up in Jersey, made all of his living and his money and his millions of bucks lobbying in Washington, D.C. And then he went back to Jersey to run for Congress. And he let's have a response, Ms. Attorney General Morrissey. Well, a couple things. First, I think it's very clear West Virginians want someone with conservative values. And I look up here on stage and I can say, I'm the only one on this stage who has always been a conservative. But Blankenship really stood out, if not for substance, then for style. There was that question about, you know, raise your hand if you would support Mitch McConnell for leader. No one raised their hand, but Blankenship actually ducked behind his podium. Uh, And that goes a long way towards showing you just the kind of character he is and the lengths to which he'll go to really kind of embody this Trump anti-establishment persona. And we'll get into some of the, you know, kind of these weird personal epithets that, that Blankenship uh, hurled at Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader. Um, but let, first, like each each one of these Republicans came in with a little bit of their own baggage. I mean, Evan, mm-hmm. Evan Jenkins uh, won in 2014. Uh, he was relatively new to Congress. And he had, he had uh, as you pointed out in one of your stories, uh, switched party affiliation four times since the <laughs> 1980s. So, I mean, there, so he had that sort of going against him. Uh, he was a Republican and a Democrat. Then he was a Republican. Then he was a Democrat. And it's just like tough to keep track of. Morrissey uh, has spent a lot of time in Washington, Mm -hmm. uh, which is anathema to a lot of Republican primary voters, as a staffer uh, in in Congress, as a pharmaceutical executive, and also he ran for Congress in your home state of New Jersey. 
uh, before going to get elected to the attorney generalship of, of West Virginia. And Don Blankenship uh, was in prison most recently. <laughs> he, uh, he, as the head of Massey Coal, uh, Massey Energy, uh, he was the chief executive of that company when one of the, the mines, the Big Branch Mine, uh, there was a horrific accident there. Uh, you know, 29 miners were killed. You know, Joe Manchin was the governor at the time. So there is a lot of personal animosity between uh, Blankenship and Manchin. What, what did you observe for the, this sort of surge in Blankenship to the, to the head of the line for at least a brief amount of time? And, and we should state that Morrissey won, uh, but kind of barely. It wasn't an overwhelming victory for him. I mean, he came in first, Jenkins was close by in second, and, and, and uh, Blankenship was at 20. But what accounted for this little boomlet? Yeah, so a lot of factors at play. One thing I do want to get off the bat here is there was a ton of outside spending from all sides against a lot of these guys. And so Blankenship did take a lot of it from national Republicans. They set up this super PAC called Mountain Families PAC, try to allude to the families of the victims who were killed in the upper Big Branch mine explosion. So they hammered him for a long time. Then you had national Democrats who were hammering Jenkins, too. Their goal was to try to boost Blankenship, thinking that, you know, he would kind of take this race off the table for Manchin if he was the nominee. But they spent a lot more money against Jenkins than they did against Morrissey, which tells you what they thought, you know, in terms of who would be the more competitive Mm -hmm. general election opponent for Manchin. So in some ways you can say, okay, Democrats didn't have an outright win with Blankenship, but they came pretty close with Morrissey in, in terms of who they would prefer to face in November. That being said, Morrissey also had a super PAC. So he was hammering Jenkins at the same time. That might have allowed Blankenship to kind of run up the middle as all of these guys were hitting each other. The Fox News debate, as I alluded to before, that was sort of the tipping point that I think a lot of these campaigns saw in their internal polling, some rise for Blankenship. That happened the same week that he really started to go after McConnell in these ads where he referred to his China family. Swamp Captain Mitch McConnell has created millions of jobs for China people. While doing so, Mitch has gotten rich. In fact, his China family has given him tens of millions of dollars. He doubled down on that when I asked him uh, in, in Bluefield, West Virginia last week, what he thought about using a racist tone. And he told me, well, it wasn't racist because he wasn't using a quote unquote race word. We, we're confused on our staff was how, how can it be racist if there's no mention of a race? There's no race, you know, races are Negro, white, Caucasian, Hispanic, Asian. There's no mention of a race. Um, which roiled a lot of nerves here in Washington, but in West Virginia, crickets. No one really seemed to care. I just wanted to point out that the reason that this came up with the China family is that Mitch McConnell's wife is yes. the, the Transportation Secretary of the United States, Elaine Chow. She was born in, in what is now Taiwan. She emigrated to the United States. Her family is born in China. And there was this like kind of, you know, just this real weird animosity mm-hmm. uh, about it uh, toward um, from Blankenship towards McConnell, knowing that, you know, if he was going to ever get into McConnell's skin, it would be it would be <laughs> that way. And there's also these references to Cocaine Mitch, uh, yes. because on, on one of the Chow family's uh, shipping, you know, runs, that, like somebody was busted for cocaine. I mean, not really much of a relationship to Mitch McConnell, but does that matter in a 30-second ad? <laughs> So yeah, so so these so all this sort of like brought up this little boom, right? I mean, like and, yeah, yeah. And he was able to capitalize it again because of who he is. I think you know, random third candidate X necessarily wouldn't have had the same lane opening that he did. But everything that we kind of criticized in Washington, you know, the low budget ads. We're talking really low budget. The, the racial slurs. 
the the idea that he was kind of he told people he told me that he didn't have scientific polling, which was not true at all. He was right. paying a very well respected pollster in Charleston, but all of that is really appealing to a lot of people in West mm-hmm. Virginia who are very anti-establishment. Um, it took me a long time to try to understand why West Virginians, why coal miners would be supporting this guy who was, as you said, imprisoned in connection with this very deadly explosion. You know, he blames the government. He blames the Mine Safety and Health Administration for causing this explosion. And for a lot of people, I think that is an appealing narrative that, you know, you can blame Manchin for that. You can blame Obama for that, for regulations that might have backfired. And at the same time, there is a similar sort of populist admiration for a man who has done really well for himself. I think you see the same thing with Trump on the campaign trail. And with Jim Justice. And with Jim Justice, the the governor. The governor uh, was a Republican, then a Democrat, then a Republican. I'm starting to see a trend here in West Virginia It's a popular trajectory in West Virginia. But Blankenship, you know, he had no shame about his wealth. He spoke about it openly. He joked about having his own airplane, having breakfast, lunch, and dinner in three different countries every day. And crowds would eat that up. Um, one, one, one thing was, yeah, you, know, you can't drive to another. You can't drive across the ocean. So of <laughs> yeah, course he, he joked that you can't drive across the Pacific. Right. <laughs> um, and one moment that really stuck out to me after he made that comment was a man in the crowd who was a supporter said, "I've never gotten a paycheck from a poor man, so don't be ashamed of your wealth." So there's the fact that he was a massive job creator in West Virginia, but he's also you know, achieved this kind of this status and wealth that a lot of people who still think that the American dream is something mm-hmm. admire. You alluded to the fact that, you know, this wasn't a total loss for Democrats and that they got Morrissey as opposed to Jenkins. Uh, let's mm-hmm. talk about the how this race is, sh- is shaping up, because if Republicans are facing tough uphill battles in places like Nevada and, and possibly Arizona, this could be one of those races that they use as a kind of a, a rampart, you know, where they kind of steal one back because Manchin is vulnerable. Let's talk about the dynamics between these two men as, as we gear up for November. Yeah, totally. I mean, in a state that Trump won by 42 points, this is a huge target for Republicans. I mean, no matter who their nominee is, they're certainly going to go after him with Morrissey. Um, Morrissey is the attorney general. As you said, you're going to really hear him play up his lawsuits against Obama, against his clean power plan, against regulations. That's going to be a huge part of this race. Um, and he's going to do that by trying to say, hey, look, I've been in West Virginia. I've been fighting for you here. Um, even though he's from New Jersey originally. Um, Joe Manchin, he's been out in Washington. But then it's going to be fairly easy for Manchin to say, hey, but you were in Washington too. You know, you were a Capitol Hill staffer. You were a lobbyist. He's got his own ties to the pharmaceutical industry, which is really interesting because that's something that Republicans are going to try to hit Manchin on when it comes to his daughter working for Milan, which of course jacked up the prices of EpiPens. So the fact that Morrissey is the nominee could potentially mitigate that as an attack coming against Manchin. And, you know, the, the, the thing about Manchin, too, is that, I mean, he, he does seem to have his own brand. I mean, you know, he, he's very much a backslapper. Mm-hmm. You know, he, the, the sort of bipartisan groups like him because he isn't a solid, you know, Democratic vote all the time. He's pro-gun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, a, he's like your, almost your archetypal uh, politician. You know, he's tall and he dresses well and he's got this southern lilting accent and, and so forth. And, and Morrissey is, is like a little more, it's a little stodgier image. I mean, it's, I mean, like lawyer, he's a lawyer. I mean, I guess they're all lawyers, right? All politicians <laughs> are lawyers. Uh, but, but like, it does seem to inoculate, you know, some of the, the, the contrast, with, you know, between where they want, where Republicans might have wanted to paint Manchin with his connections to pharmaceuticals. It's going to be really tough and not bring up Morrissey's own background. Right. And the outsider thing, it, it's going to be interesting to see how much of a an issue, especially the carpetbagging component is. I mean, 
Morrissey has won statewide elections now, having come from New Jersey. So you could argue, well, maybe that's off the table. Um, it's not the first time people in West Virginia have faced this is- issue. Jay Rockefeller, of mm-hmm. course, comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Alex Mooney also comes to mind. He's, He's won congressman from the congressman from the second, second district. district. He's the former state party chairman from Maryland, who literally moved into the state to run for Congress, but he's run twice now. We should mention too that it's like it's really just like crossing the river. <laughs> like I mean, from, it wasn't it, a it, huge move. Yeah, it wasn't. But... It wasn't like he didn't move across the country. <laughs> he, he moved just just a few miles down. But still, you're but right. But still, are, yeah. I mean, and Morrissey talks about it too that he moved to the state. He moved to the Panhandle because he liked the recreational activities near Harper's Ferry. You know, these are sort of what DC associates with West Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you have your second home. <laughs> Mansion, you know, with a grandfather, I think it was, who was a coal miner, right. is able to paint a little bit more of a West Virginia story. Um, yes, he's been in Washington, but he was still governor. So he has that statewide name ID going back even before he was in Washington. West Virginia, I mean, we mentioned this at the, at the top of the, the podcast. It seems, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a small state. Um, I mean, there are, you know, five total people in the congressional delegation, three House members, two two senators. Um, it, and it seems to capture a lot of the popular a- attention right now. I mean, the, the president has gone there to for for rallies. I mean, mm-hmm. he he probably doesn't need to set foot in the state ever again, you know, to get to win by forty points. Uh, um, but he, you know, the the Republicans went to their retreat at the Greenbrier, uh, which is in West Virginia. I mean, it is fairly close to D.C., but there is this. I mean. Th- so much of our debate about the future of the coal mining industry or things like that, it seems to bring into account West Virginia. I mean, we on a previous podcast uh, about the heroin epidemic, it was set in Huntington, West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And we talked to the fire chief uh, in, in Huntington, Jan Rader. Why, what, what do you think is, why are we so, why does West Virginia have this hold on us right now? I mean, it's, it's, it's one state of 50, but we seem to be going back there a lot. That's a great question. I think the state on a whole is certainly down on its luck in terms of the opioid crisis. As you mentioned jobs, um, you're seeing a huge transformation in the economy. There's some statistic, I'm going to get this wrong, but 40% of the coal jobs, I think, actually disappeared between like the 40s and the 70s. You know, so this, this is a long-standing economic transformation that has hit this part of the country really hard. And so for Washington journalists, as you said, yes, it's close. It's a good way to get an insight into what is happening outside of our little bubble. But it's also the epicenter of a lot of contradictions about this presidency and about our politics. You mentioned the the party switches in West Virginia, you know, not at all unusual for someone like Jenkins. I mean, yes, he did it four times. Maybe that's a little opportunistic, you could say. But for conservative Democrats to now switch to Republican, um, for people to split their tickets. That still happens a lot, too. The, the governor, as you alluded to earlier, Jim Justice, actually just switched parties after being elected a Democrat. He switched to a Republican. So you've got people who are not doing so well, but they are still very much enamored with the president, who at the same time is interested in cutting a lot of programs that benefit the people in this state. So when it comes to trying to understand why people support Donald Trump, especially people who on the surface, would seem to suffer under his policies. I think this state is a pretty good place to try to pick that apart. Well, thank you very much, Simone. This is going to be a pretty interesting race to, to keep, uh, keep track of. It is a hotly competitive one. I'm Jason Dick. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and the several stories that Simone has written about this race and others, especially on Tuesday night, visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at RollCall. Thank you for listening.